All right. Well, good morning, gentlemen. How are you all doing this morning? Doing good. Fine. Good. Good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's good to see you all. And uh, for the maybe one or two people who actually watch this, uh, you'll notice that there's a, a new face right there. Uh, just he just turned around from looking at that beautiful sunrise and those two hikers out there. And uh, we've got Will Wittenbrook with us now. Will, do you want to just share? uh why you're hopping on with this and and what i was going on with that uh just looking to learn more about theology and to grow in um my knowledge of god and to we're looking towards going into the mission field in the next few years um either part-time or full-time and so van has graciously allowed me to participate so <laughs> Well, we're we're happy to have you. We're happy to have you. Well, guys, how was your uh, how was your Lord's Day yesterday? We always kind of do a quick review on that. Uh, any interesting things uh, jump out at you? No, I was with Stephen's group, and we had a really good discussion. It was a, a little smaller than usual, and we were all able to fit around the table, which really, as I've said before, changes the dynamics of the whole thing. I mean, uh, I. I and that reminds me of the old setting in Phil's house where we got around the big table. So we had a really good discussion, uh, applications of the sermon. So it's a good day. How about you, Mike? Yeah, we had uh, a good day. Uh, the um, the uh, session at, at uh, Matt's last night was really good. Uh, uh, and I and again, I like, you know, like Mar uh, Marvin was saying, I, I like the ability that we sit around a large square table. We can see yep. each other really yeah. facilitates discussion and it really and does in the, the, uh, the passion and, and, uh, and, uh, on people's, uh, expression, their faces. Uh, so, I mean, it was really good discussions. I enjoyed it. Excellent. And you went out to Matt's last night, right? Yes. And, uh, and, uh, uh Will was there as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We decided to drop in. So it's good. Spine out the land, huh? <laughs> Just trying to get other perspectives. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, it, well, and it also will. It also has similarities to yours as well, in that you have children there. The other yeah, don't. There, uh, there was a lot of kids. That was, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Very fun. Yeah. In fact, uh, the the table we we after after us, uh, Matt said the prayer, the children got served, and they 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 filled up that whole table and so the adults were left standing around you know around the counter eating their we had chili chili and hot dogs uh so it was uh good food too <laughs> good good well all right uh guys why don't we jump into our discussion we've got a lot to talk about and we want to try to keep it in our time limit of hour hour and 10 minutes or so but uh, as Marvin reminded me earlier this morning, uh, we want to pick up with the doctrine of God's uh, decree, and then we want to go into the uh, the three chapters that we ended up reading over uh, these last two weeks, which is uh, on predestination. We've got three different parts to that, and so we'll get into that in just a second. But real quick, let's just sort of pick up from last time and just very kind of briefly uh, talk about this. But uh, let's talk about the doctrine of God's decree. So, what what is a decree, and what is what is it when we talk about God's decree? When God is decreeing something, what is that? Well, well I, 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 
Go on. Well, it's the it's the uh, active expression of of his uh, of the divine mind. In other mm -hmm. words, the decrees. And again, he has some discussion about predestination decrees as to where they're placed in the systematic theology. And some would say they should be under soteriology, some under Christology. I I like where he's put it exactly because again, uh, his emphasis has been on. Uh, God is pure act, and so in this we see the degrees of God as the eternal, as as the eternal expression of the divine mind in terms of His will being done in the earth. Right. Uh, repeat that again, Marvin, because I think what you just said is important. Can you? Uh, it's the eternal expression of God's mind in the world, in, in mm -hmm. the things that He has purposed to do. Now, again, in the chapter, we'll flesh out between His decretive will and His preceptive will. Uh, but he pretty much is talking about his uh, his uh, uh, decree is uh, his decree in in time and uh, not according uh, uh, in uh, expression of of his divine mind. Yeah, right, right. And so when we talk about the decree, uh, there's the aspects of it that are uh, well to throw out the Latin the ad intra and ad yep. extra. Exactly. The decree yeah. of God being His eternal divine will that He has set forth, and then when you see that played out in human history, that that is the decree being carried out. And so, you know, making that distinction right there. What were you going to say, Mike? I, I was going to start out uh, by pretty much talking about the uh, the intra and the extra, and uh, okay. and then uh, you know I, I pulled out the uh, the sixteen eighty nine you know. Uh, faith of uh, statement that we we uh, adhere to, and on on the paragraph three, and I was going to re read that as well. But uh, go ahead. Uh, it says uh, by the uh, by the decree of God for the manifestation of His glory, some men. And, well, this gets into the other chapters too. Some men yeah. are predestinated or for, foreordained eternal life through Jesus Christ to the praise of His glorious grace, others being left to act in their sin to just condemnation to the praise of His glorious justice. Uh, and I, I guess it goes back, uh, I, I enjoyed reading. I mean, it's a lot to remember. And, I, you know, I could go back through and read it a, a second and third time. But, I mean, it, to me, this all ties back. You, you've got to believe, believe in the sovereignty of God for for this to, to take this and trust this on faith and one thing that he said throughout i think the uh, many of the chapters is you know we we can't get into god's mind i mean our, our our ability to understand him is very finite compared to his knowledge that he has and that we need to be careful approaching uh the, this subject as far as his decree and and uh, uh election and reprobation because uh you know he's God and we're not. We're we're, we're creatures and he's the creator. So we we got to be humble when we approach this. And I think he said we got to accept out of ignorance what we don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's exactly. why that's why it's so important that it's at, this, at the end of his discussion of theology proper uh, is the fact that uh, when we cast ourselves upon the mystery of of God's uh, of God's uh, decree and God's providence, we have to know who he is. I mean, it, it's fundamental to the basis of our faith and its decrees. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so I want to read uh, just these characteristics of God's decree that Beaky lists out, 
and then we'll just if you have any comments on it and then we'll zoom right into predestination because there's a a lot there we need to talk about so Beaky talks about the characteristics of god's decree and he says first god's decree is eternal second god's decree is sovereign third god's decree is infallible it cannot fail fourth god's decree is immutable meaning it cannot change fifth God's decree is unconditional, meaning that there are no conditions that have to be met for his decree to be carried out. Six, God's decree is specific. Seventh, God's decree is comprehensive. Eighth, God's decree is mysterious. Ninth, God's decree is good. And then tenth, God's decree is wise. Eleventh, God's decree is Christ-centered. Twelfth, God's decree is God-glorifying. And then he wraps it up in that. And then he says, in summary, we offer a longer definition of God's decree. And he says, the divine decree is the eternal and sovereign purpose of the triune God based upon his will, according to his incomprehensible wisdom and goodness that determines all persons, things, events, and relationships outside of himself for his, majesty, uh, for his manifest glory in Jesus Christ. So, Will, any comments, brother? You know, we were reading through this. It was it kind of hits with your sermon from yesterday about bitterness, and we were talking about this in discussion last night. Was that um, we were the key I took away from the sermon was that bitterness's root is in pride, and in fundamentally, it's a distrust in God and who He is and His decrees. Mm -hmm. And so, where you find peace, where you can start to root out that bitterness and let go of that bitterness is by recognizing that God is sovereign and God's in control. And that for, even though we can't see what his decrees are, mm -hmm. his decrees are good. They're for his glory and for our good. And so to see through these decrees about how God speaks, how he has the power and the authority to make these decrees. When we submit to that, that's when we can start to find peace. Amen. Very good observation. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, and because of the God of who he is, I mean, the Muslim can t to some degree say the same thing of Allah. But again, that's why it's so important, really, to take God's revelation generally and, and especially in his word as the background for that. And to understand when God decrees and says this is for good, for his glory and in Christ for our good, then it is a fulfillment of everything that is in him and the Trinity. And again, I'm glad he places this after his discussion of the Trinity as well. Um, there's a full orbed adoration and glory in the fact that, uh, first of all, that in our sin, God has reached out to us and that God has spoken to us and that God acts in time towards us. And that rather than being a matter of dread, fear and resentment, as Will would say, harboring a root of bitterness, it really is an expression of great joy that, God would reach out and would uh, and would touch us in any kind of redemptive way. Right. Excellent. Thank you, Marvin. Well, moving on to predestination. And uh, what I want to do, it's interesting, you know, the, the way Beaky lays this out is he goes, you know, through these things and he talks about different aspects. And basically what he's doing through it all is through his explanation, he, he's building a definition. And then at the conclusion of it, he gives the definition. So let's look at predestination, uh, first of all, in, in, in two parts. Let's look at uh, uh, predestination, meaning his 
you know, predestinating unto salvation. But then let's also look at the other aspect of it, which is called reprobation. And so just starting off with the definition and what, what we'll do, we'll, we'll kind of do it this way. I'll just throw out the definition he gives on page 989 uh, as he's concluding that section. And then I'll just throw it over uh, to you, Marvin, and then you, Mike, and then you, Will, and you guys just comment on any part of this uh uh, of his discussion there and add anything that you might want to add to it as well. So in defining uh, predestination, divine election, as he says, he says this, election is that aspect of God's eternal decree of all things in which he sovereignly and lovingly selects according to the incomprehensible counsel of his will alone and nothing good foreseen in us those whom he will effectually call, justify, sanctify, and glorify by union with Jesus Christ. For the Father entered into an eternal covenant with Christ that he should be the mediator of grace applied by the Spirit through God's appointed means to the praise of God's glory alone. And again, that is a very long definition, but what he's done right there is he's basically picked up all of these elements he's developed throughout the first part of the chapter and he's he's just dropped them sort of uh, concisely into a definition there so marvin when it comes to election we're talking about god's predestinating unto salvation uh brother what stands out to you in, in all of this discussion yeah well i i don't want to eat the whole taco in one in one bite here so i'll, <laughs> I'll take i'll take a couple of things okay. that, that jump out at me here uh, one is I like the fact that he says it's an aspect of God's eternal decree. And that's why I'm glad we looped back and picked up the decrees this morning, because I think that's a very important. That's a very important point. It's an aspect of God's eternal decree. Uh, now, again, his eternal decree applies to all of creation. Uh, indeed, it is the ordinary providence whereby the universe exists. All things consist and have their being in him, as as the writer says. But to say this is an aspect of this puts it all back again into the decree of God. But it more specifically says it relates to uh, it relates to individuals and and particularly in by covenant their relationship to God. And I like the way in which he says he sovereignly and lovingly selects. I think those are two aspects that he picks up on as he goes through predestination here and says this is the. This is the antidote to fatalism. Uh, and again, as we're going to see in the next chapter, historically, that's what, uh, particularly in the in the ancient world uh, with the Stoics, I mean, uh, fatalism was an essential aspect, and it was something that had drifted all through the world to the extent that in Acts 17, uh, Paul actually on Mars Hill quotes one of the Stoic philosophers as a point to connect with them. But to talk about how he sovereignly, and that is by his own will, nothing, nothing coercing him to do that, nothing pressing him to do that. It's simply an expression of his own will, but lovingly selects. Mm -hmm. In other words, there is a, there's a divine love behind that. And I think the other thing that impresses me here uh, is that, uh, and this is something that's very important about predestination, which again, if we wrench it out of context and we talk about it itself, it's, those who object to it actually will then seize on the God's sovereign choice and salvation and then 
talk about, well, it takes away, it takes away your responsibility. It makes you a, a robot, makes you a puppet and all these kind of things down where he says, um, those whom he will effectually call, justify, sanctify, and glorify by union with Jesus Christ. Mm. And, and I think that's very important here to understand that God's predestination is an eternal decree, but it is also acted out in time. Uh, that there is a, a golden chain or the ordo salutis, as we often call it, which right. Paul talks about in Romans 8, which is uh, which is the actual way that in that in history and particularly in our lives, this is the way that God acts in order to, by his covenant of grace and love with us, actually to bring us to himself through Christ and then to begin the process of of uh, sanctifying us and preparing us for glory and, and all these other things. So that the doctrine of predestination is more than just whom God chose to save and whom God chose to damn. Predestination is a full expression of God's glory of those in Christ whom he died uh, from beginning to end, from the time in which they come to Christ to the time when in glory by perseverance, their glory, their 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 glory is revealed, the, 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 and that is the the glory of Christ. So predestination is an overarching, is an overarching aspect of of uh, uh, of salvation. So much so that I could not say it any better than than. Uh, and let me get him. Let me get get him out here. That, <laughs> oh, look Chuck, at that! Yeah, that that Chuck would say. Uh, it's all of grace. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I haven't. By the way, I haven't. I haven't waved Chuck very much. But whenever there's a good point to be, I'll I'll wave him. There you go. And those well, are the and, two. Th those are two things I want to say. Yeah, and you know, and what you say it mitigates against the caricature uh, of of Calvinism, where okay, why did God elect you? Why did God exactly. elect the people who uh, who He did elect? Well, you know, He picked up the tulip. And he loves yeah. me. He loves me not. Yeah. He loves me. He loves me yeah. not. He loves me. Okay, you're elected. You know, no, like yeah. you say, it's in love. It's uh, yeah. he 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 knew us. Uh, scripture says our names were engraven upon his hands. Right. And so it's it's not just a bare sort of, uh, you know, no purpose to it, uh, no love in it. I mean, it it is according to the counsel of his own will. But like you said, in love, Scripture says he predestined us. Yeah. So. All right, Mike. Well, out of that, uh, this first part, what, what, uh, you know, the question that, that, you know, had gone through mind is, um, my mind is, uh, and he actually addressed it. Why wait towards the end of this theology, systematic theology, but to even address this topic. And, uh, I, I like what he said. He kind of set the, the, the theme and some of it reinforces what Marvin was saying. Some read, and I'm reading off page 980, perhaps some readers are surprised they are treating this topic late in the volume and, what, and that we are devoting only a few chapters to it into the section on the doctrine of God. That They may say that we should address it earlier and more extensively for predestination, we are told, is the essence of Reformed theology. However, Reformed theology is not a system of predestination, but an exposition of the whole counsel of God, mm, which exactly. I thought was, was yeah. very important. Uh, what he brought out. Uh, and then he quotes Theodore Beza, sometimes regarded, uh, but his, his most comprehensive treatment of Christian truth presents predestination as the only doctrine among many. To be sure, God's sovereignty is a persuasive biblical doctrine, but predestination is not the constant theme of Scripture. 
Uh, Charles Hodge said that the sovereignty of God is to all other doctrines of scripture what the granite formation is mm-hmm. to all other strata of the earth. And I, I, I you know, it, it gets uh, to me, uh, it underlines and sustains them, but it crops out here and there. So, I mean, it's important, uh, but it's not it's not the key thing of, of our of our uh, of, of, of what reformed theology is. Um, and. Uh, let's see, when we speak, um, yeah, it's uh, that. And then again, he highlights that I think is very, very pertinent for us to remember predestination is a topic that must be handled with wisdom and reverence. Uh, the doctrine of election highlights the truth that all Christian Christians know, namely that their salvation is entirely God's grace. Uh, and then uh, again, it, it uh, goes back into the mercy of God and God's grace. And, you know, why me? And, you know, why not others? And uh, I mean, it's 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 God's grace. It's <laughs> So that those are that's that's one of the key things I picked up out of this first section, um, for from uh, doctrines of election. Yeah, yeah, amen. All good stuff. Will brother, what what insights do you have there? You know, I was thinking back to partly what Mike said, but going back to that definition, um, would you say it was on nine eighty nine? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, first full paragraph. I've gotten away from it. It's the page before that on the bottom paragraph on 988 says, Since election was an act of glorious grace, it offends our self righteousness, for it strips us of our delusions of merit and power. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just finished reading Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, and he ends that whole treatise by complimenting Erasmus. Because he said that Erasmus had hit the linchpin issue. Mm-hmm. It's not about indulgences. It's not about right. all these other things that were controversial at the time. He hit the issue. It's it's free will versus God's sovereignty. And when we recognize that God is sovereign, Mike is right. It's it's the bedrock of everything for the whole counsel of God. It all comes down to God's sovereignty. Every single aspect of the Christian life. And when we recognize that God is sovereign, that's when we start to understand grace, that his, he's choosing us. There's nothing that we can do to merit salvation. Mm. And the, the reverse of that, when you look at free will, you're putting man first. Yeah. Man has the ultimate authority over God. Man is the one that decides whether or not he will be saved. And that's just, that's the antithesis of what scripture teaches. So I, when I read that, it was it was such a um, a beautiful collaborator like it all came together at once because I just finished reading Bondage of the Will this week just finished reading that section uh, in this book and then Van's talking about bitterness and and God's sovereignty and it's just it all comes down to that. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Yeah, and I I think uh, in the Bondage of the Will as response to Erasmus he says. He says your thoughts of God are much too human. So I I, I do agree that that he has hit on uh, basically uh, that uh, that particular theme. And again, when we get into the historical development of this, I wish we had time to flesh out the difference between the Lutheran uh, the Lutheran development of that and the Reformed development of that. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me ask you all this, and, and we'll 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 start off with you and and Mike and Marvin, y'all chime in. So, so will if if someone were to say, okay, well, I I get this, 
So, so what does it matter? What does it matter whether someone's talking about evangelism and them going out and talking to lost people, or what does it matter if, if you're actually, if the lost person themselves has a handle of what the doctrine of uh, election is, and they almost have a, a laissez-faire attitude about it. Well, Will, what, what does it matter? You're trying to talk to me about Christ, but you know, if, if I'm elect, I mean, I'll be a Christian, but if not, I won't. And, and I really can't do anything to help myself in this. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I don't, how do I know if I'm elect? How do I know if I'm reprobate? I mean, how, how would you answer that, Will? And then, and then you guys chime in as well. Just trying to bring this down into, you know, practical sure. everyday well, life. This is, this is a conversation I've had with multiple family members and <laughs> friends because we I don't come from a reform background. I come from a charismatic background. And so, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to evangelism, because you, you asked like six questions in, in one just then. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to evangelism, the Bible commands us to evangelize. So if for no other reason, we are to go out and, and to proclaim the good news of what Jesus has done. And so Romans 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So the only way that that the spirit can move on somebody is through the spoken word of God. When you can, when you, the sinner hears the word of God, that's how the Holy Spirit opens their, their hearts and softens their hearts to the things of God brings them to that knowledge of, of who God is and to repentance. They can't repent if they don't know who God is. Mm-hmm. And so it's a mechanical function. We're talking about like ethereal things, but it's things that are up here. We're talking about God's sovereignty and God's election of us, but there's still a practical outpouring of that where we we still confess, we still repent, we still put our faith in Christ. And so it's like a macro view, micro view kind of thing. Big picture, this is what God's doing in the background. But on the forefront, we are putting our faith in him. We are repenting. And the only way we can do this is because he did what he did first by electing us by the Holy Spirit, softening our heart, by the by Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. All of those things happen in the background. And in the foreground, we are repenting. We are preaching the good news. We are calling sinners to repentance. So it matters because it matters for you to make the decision because it that is the ultimate question in life. Mm. What are you going to do with it? And how you know whether or not you're elect is to recognize that you're a sinner and that you need a savior and that the only way to salvation is through Christ. And to see what God declares of, of the elect, what they're elect to be conformed to the image of Christ as he consistently describes the character of the elect and geek, that is the, that is the grounds upon which to build assurance. Uh, there's a little book I read years ago, uh, uh, by J.I. Packer evangelism and the sovereignty of God, uh, which I think was fundamental. I had a friend in Hannibal. By, by the uh, way, ho- highly recommended everyone highly recommended. Yeah, it really, and it's, it's a, it's a fairly, it's a fairly short book. You can read it easily yeah. in, in one day. Uh, but it's it's fundamental to this because he talks about God's sovereignty and human responsibility in terms of antinomy. That is, they they appear to be opposing principles or opposing laws, but he does a great job of showing how both of them, uh, both of them are uh, are the reflection, uh, are different ways, different facets of the diamond of of, of looking at uh, 
God's God's sovereign work in salvation. Uh, a, a quick story I had again. Uh, I had a friend in Hannibal who went to a Nazarene college, uh, and of course uh, he was not into the doctrines of grace, and he was constantly every day as he took theology courses, uh, being told, "Well, this Calvinism will kill you; it's poisonous." And one day, a professor held up Packer's Evangelism and Sovereignty of God. And they happened, and they happened to sell it in the in the college bookstore. Strangely enough, and that's the that's the uh, that's the beautiful thing about this is a lot of what we would consider to be Ar- Armenian colleges because it has word evangelism and it will actually stock it. Hmm. But he says you guys should not read this. Well, I mean, you talk to a nineteen year old guy and say don't do this. I mean, he goes back to <laughs> when his mama told him not to touch that oven. I first thing he does, he makes a beeline for the beast for the bookstore, and he did again. And it uh, and, and it really, I think we we all have different ways in which we introduce to the doctrine of grace. But it was a a wonderful way to him to in a very short manner to talk about God's character in terms of his sovereignty and also in terms of uh, in terms of our responsibility and to show that on both that on both ends. Uh, that God is sovereign, even that God is sovereign, even in our response without violating our will. So uh, good little, good little thing. I think that kind of summarizes uh, Beaky's points here as well. Okay. Mike. I, I was, what I'll add to this is um, the, um, I'm talking to somebody about uh, whether they're reprobate or, or whether the elect, uh, one thing that, that just uh, struck, and he said it a couple times throughout, and I'm not sure what sections in these, in, the, in what part, but I think it was in part one. But uh, it says, okay, so if we're elect and we we don't, there's no need for us to 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 pray uh, for for really for anything for for the lost or for anything. But to me, it's like that someone that may not be part of of God's family now. We don't know what God's decree or God's plan or providence is for them. Uh, the, the, their calling and their answering to the to the effectual calling may be uh, uh, weeks later, months later, or a year later. We 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 don't know. But our our duty, as far as evangelism, is to make sure that we share God's uh, gospel message with them. And uh, uh, and uh, if uh, my, I guess my thought is, if someone is really asking questions and uh, about faith, uh, that uh, those are good signs. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily be called, but I mean, our prayer should be that that individuals uh, do hear the effectual calling and respond at the earliest possible time. I mean, I means like our children when we prayed last night. We, we the, the prayer was that our children would would be would be effectually called at an early age so that they could spend a lifetime serving God and really not, not really even remembering a time when they weren't part of God's family serving him. Right. And, true, and show true saving faith. Yeah. Yeah. I know money in our, uh, Mike in our Monday group, we prayed often for that as well because we have a history in the church of our, our own, some of our own children actually uh, showing interest and, but they weren't regenerate. Uh, yeah. And so and it's not that they don't know, but they do know. Yeah. So I think that's a, I think that's a, that's a good word and a practical application of this as well. Good. All right. Well, let's cross the line here and let's go from predestination, which is a, a very much a, a, a positive statement toward God effectually working in the heart 
um, saving grace and all these things. Now let's go to the doctrine of reprobation. And uh, boy, if we had questions about predestination, <laughs> how many more questions do we have about reprobation, right? So I want to do the fast thing. I want to fast forward to the end. I want to give us Beaky's definition of it. And then I want us to go back and kind of deconstruct that a little bit and look at the pieces that, that he takes as far as building materials to build up this definition. And so, so I'll read the definition and Mike, why don't we start with you and we'll, we'll okay. go with you and then Will and then, and then Marvin for comment on this, but he's, he begins the definition on page 996. And he says, uh, he says that, uh, Therefore, in light of, well, I'll, I'll take the last sentence, last sentence of the paragraph before that. There's no third category either. A person is either elected for mercy or reprobated for wrath. Both serve to display God's glory. And then he says, therefore, in light of the biblical testimony, we offer the following definition. Reprobation is that aspect of God's eternal decree of all things in which he sovereignly selects according to the incomprehensible counsel of his will, which people he will abandon to their sins, not by inducing them to sin, but by freely withholding his unmerited grace and will justly damn forever because of their sins to the praise of his glory. So, mm. Mike, comment, brother. <laughs> Where did I begin? Um, he... Uh, I guess you know in the in his talk he um, he talked about he he gave out uh, th three lines of biblical evidence, mm -hmm. um, and he talked about the um, the uh, how he for forsake us uh, he uh, designates uh, individuals where he actually you know hardens their hearts and that's uh, so I mean he he gives the example of Eli's sons how he hardened their hearts. And they were, even after Eli pleading with them, they, they would not uh, re, uh, return um, uh, to, to God. And then he, the, uh, the nation of Israel, the, the men uh, that were, uh, that were always whining and grumbling and had unbelief, you know, uh, he also, um, that, that was the case where he was hardening the, the, the men of Israel, their, their, the nation, that, those, those men, their heart, and let them wander in the desert um, and not allowing them to enter Canaan. Um, and then the Pharaoh, I mean, uh, a lot of individual, he gave some pros and cons, not pros and cons, but some uh, counter arguments of why. But I mean, way before uh, he even hardened Pharaoh's heart, he said that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Then we see through scripture uh, the, the the progression of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, you know how it, it was hardened with each uh, each occurrence of, of of a plague that he brought upon uh, Egypt, uh, and he announced it beforehand it would take place. So I mean, it's to me it goes in that that, uh, that the uh, reprobation is scripturally uh, 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 supported. Uh, scripture supports the reprobation. How God will select some by withholding His grace. And it's not that he um, that he uh, he's the author of uh, of, of um, I'll use your word that you used in your message uh, uh, yesterday. Uh, he's not the author or, 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 or of malice. You know, malice is not uh, he, he's not the author of malice, but he allows uh, the, the 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 sinful individuals to he uses their evil deeds 
to accomplish his purpose or his plan for his glory. Um, and let's see. And again, he doesn't he doesn't cause people to sin. Again, it's the withholding of his grace that, that people choose uh, sin over over God's uh, God's love, God's righteousness. So that that, that was, uh, I guess, one thing that uh, that was a good um, it, it was a reinforcement of your message yesterday. I, mean, I was reviewing this today and a, a good point to remember that uh, God has a has a purpose and a plan for everything he does. And our mind is, you know, it says uh, God's in an incomprehensible mind. I mean, we, 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 we don't know what's going on in God's mind. We, we can't. Uh, and I think it was either in the chapter before or this chapter um, about uh, God's mind, his thinking, uh, what the scripture reveals. We, we know little about the internal uh, thinking or internal mind of, of God. I think it was the words that the author Vicki used. We know very little about that. And what we see are the external effects of the application mm -hmm. of, of, his, uh, of his will, his decrees, his providence. Uh, so I, I thought that was a very good, a good point as well. It's applicable for all these chapters that we're talking about this morning. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Will, brother, what do you have to say about reprobation? This was the this I think when studying Calvinism is probably one of the hardest things to kind of wrap your heads around your head around is that is this idea that God doesn't save not just not only does he save a certain people, but he also by the flip side of that coin, he chooses not to save others. And I think the way that I was able to settle it in my mind was to understand what man's condition is apart from God, like what, where man is not morally neutral. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a big common understanding apart from scripture that man is morally neutral. And so when you first, when, when this doctrine hits you, you're like, well, why would God do that? Why would God save some and not others as if others deserve to be saved? But when you understand that man left to his own devices, is not morally neutral, but utterly corrupt and totally depraved. When you understand total depravity in its fullest, the question then doesn't become why does he choose not to save some, but why does he choose to save any at all? Because none of us deserve it. And so when we talk about reprobation, God isn't taking a morally neutral person and then shoving them into wickedness. God is leaving somebody alone in their wicked state for his glory and for our good to show his glory and proverbs 16 4 says the lord hath made all things for himself yea even the wicked for the day of evil hmm. and to understand that god allows wickedness to a point to serve his purposes just like the sermon you said you preached yesterday with joseph you know what you meant for evil god meant it for good mm-hmm and that I think sums up reprobation right there. All right, Marvin. Um, just an example of how touchy this subject is. And both brothers, I think, got onto this. Then uh, you would know this. Uh, what is the difference between Arthur Pink's sovereignty of God in the original edition? 
and in later editions. Uh, right, the answer, right. the the thousand dollar answer for this is the later editions. The original edition had a chapter on reprobation, mm -hmm. and the later ones don't. Uh, and the editor, I believe, is Baker Baker Publishing. Basically, I think altered the book for that very reason because it's a, a hard saying. As my old uh, one of my favorite preachers, Ralph Barnard, the, uh, the old Texas evangelist from the forties, used to say, "That's a hard saying. <laughs> Who can hear it?" <laughs> But again, I think that what uh, Mike and Will said is, are very good. Uh, but I, I think, um, again, uh, uh, building on uh, Will's point in terms of moral neutrality, and I think this goes all the way back to the whole character of God in this, uh, in terms and how it is that the divine mind is acted out at, at extra in the world is. I think it's easy to caricature that as basically the playing out of a script uh, that God has, that God has all these things that he's made up his mind about before time ever began. Uh, and that these things unfold uh, and that these un things unfold in time, uh, regardless of the responses of his creatures. Uh, and that though we might get indications by the anthropomorphic and anthropopathic language uh, uh of the bible to the contrary uh it appears to be it appears to be a uh a distinction without a difference and so in that point then i think it's important for us to understand god in that way that he is word i mean in christ he is word in christ he is wisdom uh and the unfolding of that is the unfolding of himself in history and so then to talk about his response to uh to us uh, either in uh, either in saving faith or in uh, or in passing over us in our condemnation, I think really I think it it uh, and going back to Beaky's uh, definition on 996 and 997, there are two things there. Uh, he first of all says that that God justly damns them forever. They're justly damned forever. They're it, both all three of those are very important words. Justly. And again, uh, in the in the uh, in the chapter on Romans eight, uh, that I don't know if we're going to get to not the, <laughs> the the last chapter in the reading here, but that again, that's that's at the heart of the objection that Paul anticipates and addresses there. Uh, how can God be just uh, whenever He's written the script and we're just doing what He said? Damn is again an important word there because it says that. Uh, it says, if you read it in context, all of us are worthy of damnation. Every one of us, uh, that none is righteous, uh, that none does good, not it, not a single one of us. And then forever would say then that as opposed to other views of the world and other religions, uh, this is a forever condition. There is no do over. Uh, there is no state in which we get to uh, in which uh, we get to purge our bad works and get to move on to the next level, either by reincarnation or by or by God's moving us, as the Catholics would say, uh, from uh, from the state from the state in purgatory to the state of blessedness to the beatific vision. And then the last part he says to the to the praise of His glory, I think is is very important there as well. And again, it says that. Uh, not in an impersonal way, but in a personal way. Uh, and I think R.C. Sproul put it so starkly once upon a time. He says, 
uh, even in heaven in a glorified state, we will praise God for the damnation of our lost loved ones as we will for the grace with which he saved us. And that is a stunning statement to think of. But again, it, it, it brings us up above the topic and just sees it, that it is God's glory ultimately to save some and to leave the others, uh, to pass over the others uh, and to let them and to let them live out and to receive, receive the just desserts of their, of their, uh, uh, of their actions. Mm, very good. Very good. Um, if I could, that, that last sentence, uh, before he gets into the Psalm uh, that he, sh he shares, uh, kind of uh, uh, repeats in a, in a different way that, about damnation. He said, even damnation fulfills the creative will of God. This thought should fill us with awe, wonder, and a fear of the Lord. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that that's pretty sobering. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very much so. Very much so. Well, I want to ask you guys this question uh, when we're talking about the doctrine of reprobation. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pull out the Mike Thompson acronym, the, the bluff. Okay. Did you get that from the army? Is that an army thing? That's army. Yeah. Bottom okay. line up front. Yeah. Okay. Bottom line up front. So bottom line up front, I have to say, uh, I believe the word of God and I have to take this by faith coming from the word of God, that God is not the author of sin and God does not work sin in the heart. So now having said that, logically in my mind, it is so hard to get around this because even right here, what Beaky's saying is, okay, here, here's what's happening. Okay. So, so in predestination, God works efficiently in the heart of the person who's not saved. He efficiently works saving faith and grace and all of those things in the heart so that he, he actually has to do an active work in them in order for them to be saved. But now when it comes to the reprobate, he just passes over. Uh, that's, that's the word that's often used. He passes over, leaving their, them in their sins to continue on. Now, Marvin, if I understood you right, at the very beginning, when we talked about the decree of God, uh, you were very thorough in saying that God decrees all things, right? Right, correct. So that being the case, how, okay, if, if God is passing over these sinners sinning, but yet there's not one single thing, even our confession says this, there's not one single thing that happens in this world that is apart and absent from the decree of God, then how does that work that their sin that they're doing, it, if you say it's not by the active efficiency of God in the same way that, uh, that uh, salvation would be, then but still, don't you have to fall back to say, well, at least it is by decree itself. And so therefore the sin that is being worked out is according to the will of God. And in right. that sense, being according to the will of God, right. would not God be the author of that? See, that's the thing I, I can't yeah. get. I mean, it is very clear his divine decree brings these things about, but yet how does he do that? 
and yet at the same time not be the author of sin. In my mind, I can't get that. So that's why I have to go back to the word of God. I remember R.C. Sproul was asked this question and he basically just went, you know, bullet points. He said that there's nothing in this world that happens apart from God's decree. Sin is a part of God's decree. And yet God is not the author of sin. And he said, I just have to believe that. Yeah. So speak to that guys. Yeah. I, I think you see that reflected in the later chapter in the discussion uh, between superlapsarian and infralapsarianism. Mm-hmm. I don't want to jump all the way over there. I'll give it a shout out in case we don't get to it. And it's certainly, well, we, like, yeah, not, you might, might want to go ahead and hit yeah, it. We, we're here. not, we're, you know, we're not going to get to it, but, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the whole thing is, uh, how how much is sovereign election and how much is uh, where in the mind of God and in the purpose of God is the eternal salvation of a people through Christ? Mm. And of course, the superlapsarians would say that. And, and I love the way he laid out the ordering, the logical ordering of that there, because he would say that even above creation, that within the Godhead was their purpose from eternity. The creation is actually the unfolding of that of that plan in time. But God had always, above that, had had a decree to save a people. Uh, in that, then, is very importantly the question you just asked. Well, then, and I guess that's why so many people uh, throw a rod against the uh, 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 against the uh, superlapsarian position is, doesn't that make God the author of sin? Um, and again, I mean, it makes that it makes that that uh, it makes that def it makes that uh, 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 distinction much more difficult, I think, at that point. But it's a good it's a good question you ask, and again, it does go back to to the mind and decree of God. Is it a static unfolding of a script, or is or is it the living expression of the eternal mind of God? Um, I think one thing that makes this so interesting is the reality of total depravity and of and of just our bondage and sin, as Will was talking about Luther, I, as I recall, this is one of the points that Luther makes as well, uh, is that it makes us easy to read. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, in the sense that if you're talking about working your will out in sovereign, in, in by sovereign decree, uh, using the uh, using as a means the uh, uh, the, the working of a, of a depraved and a lost mind, then it, then in that sense, then uh, knowing the options that are within that, you know, I mean, basically, uh, and, and again, I'll, I'll shut up with this. Basically it's a, in a sense, it's the same thing we see unplayed in a very good script, whether it's a, a theater script, movie script, book or whatever. Uh, in terms of, uh, and it's the very essence of mystery novels in the sense that uh, as the author discloses the wills and the motivations of people, in the case of murder, which is, you know, bad, uh, you begin to get a sense of that so that you can predict it. Uh, Even in our minds, even in our fallen and limited minds, we can predict that sort of thing. And it seems in that case then really, for God then to use those acts, such as in the case of Joseph's brothers or in the case of Pharaoh or, or, or whatever the, whatever the, the, the case may be there, uh, 
we we sit on that creative tension every time with Pharaoh is, will this be the time? And God continues to tell him, no. <laughs> I mean, he's not had enough. And ultimately, it is the fulfillment of it is a fulfillment of his sin. So again, I, I think this this highlights the impersonal versus the personal view of God. And again, as we've said, I think that's why it's so important really to have fleshed out or filled out the doctrine of God to this point to where we talk about this, because it gives very substance to that when we ask uh, when the Bible when the Bible displays that or puts that before us, then to think of the whole counsel of God and to then, then to think about the actions of humans uh, and think about God's purpose in using that. So, okay, good, good guys. You have any thoughts about this whole thing? Reprobation, God not being the author of sin yet, God being sovereign over sin, decreeing sin, even what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, for me, the, the way I was able to kind of settle this in my mind was it's, this is so hard to kind of wrap your head around, but Herman Bavink in the wonderful works of God in the very beginning talked about how the Bible is all that God has chosen to reveal to us about himself, but it's not all that there is about who God is. There's more to God than what's revealed in the Bible, but all that he's chosen to reveal to us is the Bible. And so there are some aspects of God that we're not going to be able to fully understand this side of eternity. And this is one of those things. Um, I believe I saw this in a movie. It was The Calvinist. Um, it's a really good movie. Uh, it was produced by Les Lanphier and it's um, Broken Stone Studios. But they talked about this, this tension of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty and how they're like, I think was, they're quoting Spurgeon, but they had a visual of a visual of it that was very helpful. They were on this, there's this train on these tra tracks that they're, you know, man's responsibility is one track and God's sovereignty is the other track. And they, they seem like they're, you know, that they don't touch, but at the same time, you look down into the future and they look like they touch. And I think that's how it is. It's, it's not going to be something that's fully understandable here on earth why why how god is not the author of sin but somehow he's sovereign over it mm. uh and we're not going to fully understand that on this side of eternity and that's just how i've been able to have peace at night with that doctrine yeah yeah the 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 only way i i can reconcile it is to uh and again you know I agree with you. There's so much about God that we don't know. We don't understand, but, uh, the, the way I can, I can understand that, that God can decree sin and yet not be responsible, uh, for, um, uh, the, um, I guess you could say the, um, the, the, the punitive aspect of sin, the, the, the bad aspect of sin, is that he has holy purposes for it. you 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 look at the cross i mean acts 223 you know this man delivered up by the predetermined plan of god but well, wait a second what did the predetermined plan of god predetermine it predetermined to have the most unjust action in all of human history take place 
But if you look at God's purposes, and right there in that one verse, I think it contains a difference. If you look at God's purposes, his was a holy purpose, a righteous purpose, to redeem a people for his own glory. Uh, but then Peter says, you, talking to them, you put to death by godless hands. Their purpose was unholy reasons, unholy purposes. So so that, at least that much kind of in my mind, I, I think I can work out because, again, of the motivations of God, just like we talked about with Joseph yesterday, same action, you know, you meant it for evil against me, God meant it for good. And again, God, God ordained all of that bad stuff that happened to him. And so uh, to me, I can kind of categorize, categorize that in my mind. What is hard is, is that the, the act that these men did to put Christ upon the cross uh, by God's decree, that's predetermined that they, that, you know, they carry that out. And then you back up from the action all the way down into their hearts, the wills, and there was a willing to carry that out. There was a willingness to sin. Where did that willingness to sin come from? There's nothing that comes that exists in this world, happens in this world outside the decree of God. That's where I, I kind of get my sticking point right there. And I just have to bow and say, you are God, and I'm definitely not. And all praise and glory be to you. And, and just by faith, you accept it. He is not, he, he did that by his decree, but he is not the author of sin. Yeah, very quickly, I, I think Augustine suffered on this in his uh, theodicy or his defense of evil when he talks about evil as a privation of good or a lack mm. of or a lack of good, and I think that really puts this puts this into perspective. Uh, but that's a very good way to to uh, put it, Van. But again, it is again the whole the whole idea of reprobation. God just leaving them to their just deserts. I think to me, when I hear that again, it makes me praise his glorious grace, but at the same time, it also makes me praise him for his common grace. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's because, uh, with the lost and the fall fallen humanity and the doctrine of total depravity in, in, in order, the fact is that our, anyone, any one of our, uh, states of total, total depravity is not, is not on fully display. If it were, mm -hmm. If it were, then it'd be the correct, it'd be the collapse of everything. And by the way, I think that's one of the judgments of a people or of a nation is the fact that God removes this restraining hand of common grace and just leaves them to themselves. And again, mm -hmm. that's a discussion for another time. Uh, but I think that's another way that that plays out. Um, but yeah, I think in that case, then uh, God's common grace actually, again, within the within the understanding of of the completion and and our total absorption and total immersion of the lost person in in sin as he restrains certain things and and as he restrains certain things by basically guys i gotta jump off i'm sorry somebody's knocking on my door okay you go ahead good seeing you will good to have Take you will. uh as a as a reflection as a reflection of that then uh uh, there is uh, God moving in the circumstances of the evil person or the lost person mm -hmm. to the degree of, of moving them along. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is a way by secondary causes, he actually, he actually moves the lost person to the point of carrying out the crucifixion or carrying out the hard hearted, uh, 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 obstinance and not allowing Israel to go into the wilderness 
happiness and worship and, and all these things where your options become much more limited by providence and by common grace, it becomes much more easy to predict at that point for us. And certainly more so, I think, in the mind of God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, guys, why don't we land the plane by just touching on the historical aspect real quick? And let's just use just the last little bit of time we have. And uh, there's three of us and there's three things we can talk about. Why don't we talk about Augustinianism, Pelagianism, and semi-Pelagianism. And Marvin, I tell you what, if, if if you'll be our jumping off point, you grab one, Mike, you grab another one, and I'll take the one that's left, okay? Okay. Well, it'd be easy to take the Augustinian one because that's <laughs> the one we love and we know. Uh -huh. So what I'll do is I'll uh, – let me go in the middle and, and grab and grab Pelagianism. Okay. Uh, oh, whoa, now that's not in the middle. That's <laughs> Semi-Pelagianism would be in the middle. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I'm thinking in terms speaking. of order. I think in terms oh, okay, of okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. In terms of chronology, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, chronologically, I'll, I'll take the middle, and that'd be All Pelagianism. Right. It's the the controversy of Augustine with Pelagius Bishop, uh, uh, who is in uh, who is with a direct distinction to. Uh, August Augustine's belief and of course all the things we've been talking about and God's gracious purpose and salvation and predestining a people and leaving uh, leaving the others to their just damnation um, Pelagius is uh, is a bishop I believe in in church in Britain I believe yeah yeah he's uh, British yeah he's British, British yeah. monk uh, British monk who at that point uh, uh, who at that point, uh, is moving completely against that. And in a sense, in a sense, I think he, in a different aspect, is reviving the old Arian heresy. Mm -hmm. uh, not that he's saying that Christ is, is a human or adopted human or whatever, but what he's saying there is that, uh, it, is that uh, it is possible that being created as we are, God has created us with free will, so to speak. Uh, and in that, then it is a reflection of our created purpose so that God gives us this ability then to, uh, this ability then to be able to, to, to choose, uh, mm. it's a raw, it, it, it's a raw choice. We can choose for God or we can choose against God. Right. Uh, and in, in Hannibal, uh, I remember, uh, in a, in a sister church there in town, a good friend of mine, Barry Morgan, who taught New Testament, he never would classify himself as a Calvinist, but he would mm. for political purposes. But his pastor said basically something that I don't, basically what amount of Pelagianism. He said, you can choose, you can choose Christ anytime you want to. Uh, and Barry got him in a corner and had a conversation with him. He said, you know, you, you've just expressed the ancient heresy of Pelagianism, don't you? Mm. Uh, because again, it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. Uh -huh. I mean, it's not a, it, it's not a morally, as Will was saying, it's not a morally neutral choice. Right. And so Pelagius would then say at that point then that as, as opposed to, I don't want to jump the chain on semi-Pelagianism, at least semi-Pelagianism would pay, would pay respect to the God, uh, to the fact that God must move in order the will in some aspect in order to, to bring us the choice. Right. Right. We need but, grace. Yeah. So anyway, um, I think uh, Pelagianism is the worst is the worst expression, and I and I think it is the uh, the very worldview of of modern of of uh, theological liberalism in the last century and a half. I think. Mm -hmm. 
Good, good. All right, Mike. So Marvin got Pelagianism. Do you want Augustinianism or do you want well, semi-Pelagianism? Well, I guess I'll I'll I'll, I'll give a shot at Augustinianism. Great. Uh, <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I yeah. mean, one thing is, it's a bigger it's a bigger corpus of uh, of ideas there for sure. That's for sure. I, I guess in in in, in that view, uh, they uh, all faith and good works come from God's grace. Uh, and for the glory of God alone, no one and no one does good works in order to receive grace. They they do good works because they have received grace from God, and that's the indication mm-hmm. of their their uh, their their election. Uh, and uh, in that it says uh, he in Beak he says election initiates the unbroken chain uh, of God's saving acts. And I think I remember reading somewhere now. I may get in again. It, it's a lot of information, that, uh, but talk about the the golden thread or the golden chain. Golden chain. Golden chain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that, that that little William that, Perkins there, right? Yeah, and you know, and and I'll be honest with you, I I had never heard that terminology before, way of explaining it. So, uh, um, but uh, let's see. And what else can I say about that? Um, We've already kind of talked about uh, Augustinianism a lot, anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. But I mean, that, I guess that's that's about all. I mean, I was uh, uh, I enjoyed reading about the history, but I enjoyed reading a, about and, and contemplating, reflecting on the uh, election and, and reprobation. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. that's where I kind of put a lot of my my study. Yeah, I, and I will say very quickly. I mean, I I like the way that. Beaky frames the historical development on this uh, in terms of the uh, historical and theological culture of the time. He says that he thinks that a lot of the controversy in the early church was related to the Greek view of fate, particularly as a Stoic expression of it. And I thought that was a good, that's a good counterbalance to, to try to bring them in terms of understanding what they're reacting to. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, so I'll take uh, semi-Pelagianism, and and that's sort of the uh, the mediating position between the two positions you all gave uh, with Mike Augustinianism, basically saying that uh, there's 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 no good in man whatsoever. So God cannot look ahead to to man's good works to determine based upon that if he's going to elect him to salvation or not. So it is all totally of grace. Uh, man, man cannot do anything to commend himself to God. Uh, for his election and also as a result for his salvation. And then Marvin, you know, your position, Pelagius says, uh, well, that, there's an island of righteousness up in there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> and with right. that little island of righteousness, you can do yeah. all of this great stuff. Yeah. I love how R.C. Sproul puts it. Uh, he, he talks about Pelagius and he says, you know, Pelagius's little island of righteousness. He says, uh, Pelagius is saying, uh, you know, it, it classic Sproul, you know, Pelagius is not saying you can do a good thing or you can do a couple of good things, but Pelagius is saying you can do the best thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Make some so, chalk fly, man. You're going to make me weep. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. So he says you got this out of righteousness and, and unaided by God, uh, not needing any grace from God. You've got everything already inherent in you to, to 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 choose Christ to to basically make that choice of salvation, whereas semi Pelagianism kind of coming in the middle ro- of the road will go with Augustinianism and say and say, well, you know what, 
you don't have the things in you that you have to have in order to choose Christ. You need the saving grace of God. But what God does is he gives this grace. He gives this ability to everyone. And so now, because he gives this grace and this ability to everyone, now the determinant is your choice. So it comes back to you. And that that's what I would say, Marvin, I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I would say that most probably Southern Baptists sort of fall into this, this yep. vein. Yeah, I uh, Van, that's a great point, because I was actually thinking along those lines when I was reading this as well. And I'm thinking about back to the old Baptist church that I joined as a teenager that I was baptized into as a believer, uh, just the invitation. And in terms of kind of the anthropology or the Christology or the, or the theology of, of the invitation, and it struck me uh, in a sense that I think we can form the kernel of the doctrine of preven prevenient grace from semi-Pelagianism mm -hmm. in the sense yes. that God's enabled everybody to believe. And I think that's what you see in the old invitation is the fact that at that particular moment on the on the uh, 14th repeat verse of just as I am, you know, uh, that at that point, then God has freed your will in that moment to choose Christ and you'll be and, and you'll 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 be damned on the basis uh, on the basis of that without any understanding of the sovereign purpose of God in that. So, yeah, I agree fully, Van. I think that's a good insight is that it is semi-Pelagian. Well, we call it Arminianism and there's a big if we're doing a Venn, Venn diagram, there's a, there's a big overlap there between the two of those. But I think that in essence, in terms of their view of man and in terms of sin and, and the uh, work of God and salvation, I think there's, I think that's a good insight. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, and again, we don't have time to, to sadly to go into the history and like, look at the Senate of Dort and, and, and right. all those aspects, but yeah, uh, Arminianism, I would say it's, it's right down the line, uh, except going all the way, which I think Arminians are consistent here yeah. where they say you can lose your salvation right. And, right. and, and it's consistent, you know, how can we have free will in a, in a semi-Pelagian, uh, sort of mindset in an Arminian mindset in a, dare I say, Southern Baptist, vanilla Southern okay. Baptist mindset. How, how can we say we have free will to choose God, but then having chosen God, how can we say, well, now we don't have free will to unchoose God. We don't right. have free will to walk away from our salvation. Yeah. So the right. Arminians actually were consistent. They did right. say that you could do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and again, it is consistent. And I remember at Southern Seminary when I was coming along, there was a professor there named Dale Moody. Uh, oh yeah, Dale uh, Moody. Well, yeah, you remember uh, basically he was a thoroughgoing Arminian, and he made the same argument. He says basically, he says, you know, we're not consistent in this, and so uh, he didn't. He dropped the P from the tulip. Uh, and, well, he dropped all five points of the of the of the of the uh, uh, fragrant flower. He dropped all yeah. points of it and just said, you know, Southern Baptists kind of hang on to the P there, mm -hmm. uh, and, and give some lip service to the T to the total depravity. Uh, but they dropped the perseverance, and he says, yeah, you can lose your salvation. And again, I mean, he rode out the storm there because he'd been there for decades. But yeah, it was a big, it was a big controversy. Mm, good, good. Mike, anything to add to the, to this? No, I thought uh, again, I uh, reading uh, these uh, this and discussing it just it's it's very uh, enlightening and edifying for me. And uh, and I just I I I'm blessed to have this time 
uh, in discussion every uh, every other um, or second and fourth uh, Monday of each month. I look forward to it. Same here. Same here. I think the Lord. Amen to that, uh, Mike. It's such a it's such a, a blessing to. Well, it's it's a blessing, really. Uh, as you say often, Mike, this is the, the first time you've really seen this and wrestled with these things. It's so refreshing to hear your insights on that. Uh, in terms of really, I, I think it it brings us uh, it, it brings us around really in in a lot of cases just to just 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 to see the basics and i I appreciate you a lot brother yes and again i I want to remind you know for those who are listening to us either through audio or watching the video uh I just commend this to you. Get, get this book. There's so much that we just do not have time to touch upon. Beaky is so thorough. So I really would commend it to you. Uh, deep theology, but yet he he puts it in such a readable uh, yeah. manner. Uh, I wouldn't say he's all the way to to like an R.C. Sproul who just has an amazing gift of taking these right. super complicated things and then yeah. putting the cookies on the bottom shelf. But but Beaky approaches that. I think he he's very readable, and uh, in the format, you know, toward the end, he's got uh, questions on the subject, questions for further reflection. Yeah, he's got a hymn. Yeah, that's toward the theme of it. So, yeah, like you said, Marvin, devotional, uh, heartwarming, pietistic, you know, uh, uh, it sends our affection straight up to God. So I appreciate that. So I would commend that to you. And with that, why don't we uh, go ahead and close in prayer? And Marvin, if I could ask you to pray and and brother, thank God for his sovereignty, his eternal decree, his predestination, Amen. and even... Uh, even how he works out a horrible decree, you would think yeah. like reprobation, but yet to the glory of his will, to the glory of his justice. Yeah. Our Father, we do thank you for our discussion today. And I thank you for my brothers and just the wisdom and the insight that they, they bring to this. And Lord, uh, we are so glad in our study here that we have had the opportunity not only to study God in terms of his attributes, uh, in terms of his character, uh, in terms of the eternal expression of the uncreated being um, who brought everything into being as we know through the through the word of Christ by the agency uh, of the of the Holy Spirit as he breathed over the the uh, over the, the the null and void landscape uh, but father in, in seeing that also in the Trinity as well and his uh, precious work in our salvation and Lord, we have uh, touched on high and holy things today and things, as Mike said, really, that uh, that, e that eternity will give us the opportunity to explore more fully. Uh, but, Lord, we all know as we get into eternity and have uh, what uh, John Owen would call the beatific vision in which we see immediate, uh, immediately, have an immediate knowledge of God through Jesus Christ and of the great salvation he wrought for us. Uh, and in that time then to spend eternity toiling and, uh, and, uh, working and, and doing your will without sin, then to see the glorious, your glorious grace and never for eternity to unfold the depths of it. Uh, Lord, we always need to remain, remember that this is not a static script coming from you, but it is the dynamic will of the true and the living God uh, who in every aspect and every act in history, whether for good or for evil, uh, really has a, 
a wealth of wisdom, an ongoing wisdom in terms of the Godhead, in terms of the working out of uh, to the purpose of bringing bringing glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the true and the living God. Thank you for that, Father, uh, as it humbles our hearts. Let us use that humility, Father, uh, with assurance in this doctrine of election uh, and predestination, Father, uh, rather than for us to uh, uh, to lay it aside and, and to be passive in it and uh, as those who misunderstand it would be, but to use it as a great encouragement, Father, to, to evangelism in the sense that we know that you have a people. Uh, and that is uh, that is our encouragement in evangelism is that as the gospel goes out, it will surely it will surely receive those who've been uh, whom, for whom Christ died. And uh, it will uh, bring them to the point of the new birth and bring them into the kingdom and make them disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what we long for, Father, true conversions to your glory that Father, that even in our own church, that you would give us that you would give us true conversions and of us, us who profess faith in Christ father let us in humility bow before your sovereignty in all matters of providence and to trust you no matter what they are in Jesus name amen 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 well thank you men and uh, lord willing we will come back again in about 2 weeks okay yeah yeah right. uh, yeah all right